It's the dictionary. Hello, word nerds. Welcome to the dictionary. As you can see from the title, I've got a guest. I got another guest. This this is a returning guest. This is my cousin Ryan. His uh, previous episode was, I believe, a three twenty five way back in the A's a few years ago. So go back and check that out. Uh, Ryan, thank you. Thank you for joining me remotely from par- partly across the country. How are you doing this uh, afternoon, early evening? Well, thanks, Spencer. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm doing well. Enjoying some uh, Ithaca sunshine in our very beautiful outpost here uh, in upstate New York. That is awesome. Um, Again, thank you for doing this. We are going to be talking about some very interesting words today. (laughs) Um, You've you've got the words there. Um, Let's let's start with uh, why... Why are you on this episode today? What do you do that makes you such an expert on these words, or at least one, a couple of these words today? I am a professional economist. I mm-hmm. do research and teach economics at Cornell University. And it looks like about two thirds of the words we're going to discuss today have an economic root to them. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, you, are, you, you primarily do research. Uh, what right. kind of does that mean? What do you what do you research? For those who a, like like me who like just know nothing about this stuff. So I'm a macroeconomist, which is a portion of what economists do, and that means I get to focus on what's happening in sort of the broader economy and how the system all the pieces fit together. So I get to think about booms and busts, recessions, what causes them. And uh, also part of macroeconomics, we think about longer term macroeconomic growth, although that's not something that I focus as much in my research. Um, so the, that's the that's the macro side of economics. Right. And so the macro, that's the big picture. Uh, what would an example of like microeconomics be? So microeconomics would focus more on individual experiences. So uh, classic microeconomic questions include uh, what are the effects of some particular, uh, say, education policy on educational outcomes? Or, in like a, like a town or a, a city or something like that? Or, so or... it might not be so localized. Okay. And these can clearly be very important questions. Yeah. Um, it's not about importance, but it's really about the difference between thinking of uh, uh, all of the downstream effects of a policy versus focusing on that policy in isolation. So a microeconomist will ask whether uh, funding Head Start improves educational outcomes for the individuals who get Head Start. A macroeconomist will ask, how does education affect economic outcomes over a decade or longer? Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely the big, big picture, the overarching uh, in that in that example, you know, education is like the big topic. But then Head Start is the smaller focused specific thing. So it's yeah, the big picture versus the specific is kind of the way that I'm thinking about it. Does that make sense? I, I think that's fair. I think some microeconomists might not go along with that because they think they have the big picture and we have <laughs> fair. Uh, some other very peculiar way of looking at the world. But it's still it's still right. I, macroeconomists are thinking about system-wide effects okay. and microeconomists are... are sort of generally more narrowly focused on a particular uh, policy or interaction. Um, 
and and both fields, by the way, could be very empirical, thinking about you know what happens in a in a particular context, a particular program, or they could be very theoretical, thinking about how people interact and what are their incentives, and um, can get as mathy as you want in this field. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's vast, and I'm already feeling like I want you to explain things to me like I'm five years old, because <laughs> that's about <laughs> the level of my my brain can handle. Um, so how did you get into this? What what was it that like got you interested in this world? So as an undergraduate, I was curious about economics and there was something I really appreciated about it and there was something I didn't like about it at all. So what I appreciated about it was that it was a very uh, disciplined way of thinking about questions. So um, we you know, the principle, I think, of, of the field of economics is that people respond to incentives. That's not the whole story. And there are lots of, you know, factors that influence us that are social or cultural and so on. And economics can think about these. But the really underlying principle is, uh, is that people respond to incentives. And and that turned out for me to be a, an easier way to think about things than, say, political science or psychology, where the, the rules of the game, sociology, were just less less clear to me, less transparent. So I really appreciated that about economics. On the other hand, as an undergraduate doing economics, I found that I just wasn't writing. And to me, that was an incomplete education. I wanted to be writing complete thoughts. And, and economics was giving me some cool math and some good ways to think about things. But I just couldn't think... I don't know. It wasn't what I was wasn't what I was going for in my undergraduate years. Um, so as an undergraduate, I actually eventually sort of drifted away from economics and became a philosophy major, mm. which also has a lot of clear rules for for thinking about questions. Um, but then I decided that someday I wanted to be employed, and uh, at that point, economics was was the right way for me to keep moving forward, and not just teach philosophy to the next generation. Yeah, I I mean I. Um, I don't know if I have the the horsepower to teach philosophy, but I didn't try. Yeah. So it was uh, it was the math and the writing that led you on this path. Um, so was it so the writing side of that is that where why you decided to go into the research part of economics? Um, I'm not sure. Although it's true that uh, good economic research does rely on good writing and good communication more generally. Um, so I don't really know if that's the cause, but it certainly fits for me. Um, when I'm writing a paper, I really enjoy thinking about the argument and the clear communication and making the point as simple as it can be and still make the point. Simplicity is important. Um, Go ahead. And so elusive, yes. Also that, yes. Some sometimes it's oh, it's hard. <laughs> uh, can you give any examples of um, specific research topics that you have worked on? Um, and and I believe, if I remember correctly, you've you've published reports or what? What are those details? I don't remember. Yeah. So the currency of the economics field are publications and journals. Um, so I've published several papers now over the course of my career. And, and that's always exciting when that happens because that is how we get our research out there and get it recognized and accepted as being high quality and worth, worth thinking about. Um, so I've thought about all kinds of questions, but one I 
find interesting to talk about that people I think can understand is I thought about how much a central bank like the Federal Reserve of the U.S. should communicate with the public. There was a very big trend, I would say, up until about, I don't know, six or seven years ago, where central banks were communicating more and more and more. So we used to say very little about what we were doing with the interest rate. We used The Federal Reserve used to make very few predictions about where the interest rate would go in the future. Uh, and they wouldn't explain why they were doing things or their perspective on the economy very much. Um, and starting in the 2000s, the central bank started to explain its thinking. And the various members of the governing body of the central bank started speaking about their own opinions. And we started to get a lot more information. And at some point, the question was, could it be too much? Could it be that we're hearing so many different things from so many different people within the Federal Reserve System that we get overloaded? And that seems like an intuitive idea, but economic models are have a hard time capturing the idea of information overload. Uh, generally, information just makes us do better decisions. Um, and so I wrote uh, one of my early research projects was trying to understand this idea of information overload and how you could get get it to make sense that the central bank should at some point stop talking. You've said enough. <laughs> right. What, where's the, the fine line of talk some, but not too much? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, my, my brain is so full, I don't even know where to go. I think that's the thing about this world of economics is that it's so vast. It covers so much that if you've never, if it's not something you're interested in, something that you haven't studied, it's a, it's overwhelming because it literally, it's like just everything in relation to, I mean, to put it simply, money, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the big thing. It, it's broader than that, obviously, but like that's kind of the central thing and there's there's so much to talk about in that world yeah right and really the the financial part of economics is a relatively small part it really does go so much so much beyond um, money and 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 often other fields get a bit angry at economists or frustrated or something that we are uh, stepping on their toes mm. moving into their territory um, and I don't think that's entirely a wrong criticism. I remember as an undergraduate, one of the things that really struck me was reading a paper about the economics of addiction. And one could think about the internal reasoning process of choosing to enjoy pleasure now with pain that comes later. And it could be rational to become addicted to something. And I don't know if that's one of those papers where, you know, really economists have gone too far, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that other fields have more to offer. But I thought that was just an interesting example of, of kind of how far from money yeah. uh, economists can, can stray if, we, if we're given the opportunity. Yeah, because if you like change the context of that to, to a money situation, a financial situation, you know, it, you're, that's what you're basically doing in that is that you're, you're saying, OK, well, this is, a, this is another situation. But what if we changed, you know, the, the financial side of that situation into like you said, pain and pleasure. And mm. so, you know, the, the, the other version would be get a lot more money now, but you lose something later. But yeah, in, in but it's in terms of addiction. So yeah, that is a really uh, odd and interesting example. Uh, it's still technically economics, but again, maybe not everybody would agree with that statement. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, some people would object to that framework for thinking about the question. Yeah. Uh, I think the economists who wrote it, and I, I would probably agree with them that 
this isn't the whole story, but there are some important things that one learns from writing down this rigorous model of the phenomenon. Um, and, and then one can say, yeah, that's here's why it's incomplete. Uh, here's what it captures. And, you know, maybe we should proceed or maybe we should stop there. Yeah. What I do appreciate about this is that it is, like you said, uh, a, a big part of it is is math and yep. it's numbers and it, you know, numbers don't lie and there are formulas and it's very uh, concrete in that way. But at the same time, you know, depending on the system that you're looking at, you're talking about, you're researching, there's, there's a lot of factors and a lot of things. So like, are there certain formulas that you use on a regular basis or it, like are, are they advanced formulas simple formulas like what what's that world like yeah so um you know i think of math as really the you know the structures of formal reasoning that we use to to make arguments completely airtight um and it's a way to travel from assumptions to results that is completely transparent and reproducible mm-hmm um, so that's that's I don't know that's the use of math um, is is to kind of make clear what are the assumptions and make clear what are the results and how you go from from point A to point B. Um, yeah. The math can be really very um, simple and straightforward, uh, or it, it can be quite high end math. Um, sometimes when you're working with super abstract math to prove an economic idea you lose track of the idea and then it's maybe not working for you um to make it very concrete though just you know if if i were to teach my undergraduates one math equation that captures very important economics i would teach them the fisher equation the fisher equation is about the relationship between real interest rates and nominal interest rates so let me give you three sentences Mm-hmm. to try to explain that. So the real interest rate is the trade-off that I face if I do savings right now between consuming today and consuming in the future. So if I could if I had enough money in my wallet to buy one hamburger today and I put it in the bank account and in a year it will buy me one and a half hamburgers then the real interest rate is 50%. Okay. Okay. The nominal interest rate is about the trade-off between dollars today and dollars tomorrow. So if I have $1 and I put it in the bank account and I get $1.50 back tomorrow, then the nominal interest rate would be 50%. What's the difference But in this trade-off over time? It's, it's about inflation. Yeah. So if that dollar is losing value over time, then I may put that dollar away get a dollar 50 back tomorrow but if there's been inflation say 10% inflation then it's only worth roughly a dollar 40 mhm okay and so if i want to figure out what is that trade off for stuff i need to know what do i get in dollars tomorrow and i need to subtract inflation from it and so, so the fisher equation captures all of that with three letters which is r the real interest rate equals I, the nominal interest rate, minus inflation. The I stands for nominal Nom- interest rate? Yeah. And what stands for um, the inflation? We well, use the, the Greek letter pi mm-hmm. 
or inflation. Not confusing at all to uh, to uh, people who are studying geometry or something. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Greek letters are great, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, so R equals I minus pi is that's the equation. Real interest rate equals the nominal interest rate minus inflation. Perfect. Now I'm an expert. I can go teach your classes. You know, I think understanding that equation is good for at least a B in my class. So Perfect. Uh, even if you ignore everything else. So I think we've made great progress. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, you know, it's baby steps, baby steps. Um, yeah. You know, you got to start somewhere. So that's a, that's a perfect example. Thank you for that. And that is going to lead us right into the words. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just see where this conversation goes. I, as you may remember, I just do all of this off the top of my head, no preparation. So, you know, this will be a fun experiment, just like all right. life. And if I get lost in any equations, feel free to cut it out of the podcast Okay, okay. the editor. But, you know, it's also uh, helpful to know, you know. Yeah. Some people might love it. Some people might not. Yes. Okay. The first word in this episode is economical. E-C-O-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. Do you like to say economical or economical? Do you do the long E? I think I normally go with the E. Eh, yeah, I think that yeah. that's based on the pronunciation I'm seeing in these other words. That's pretty common. Okay, economical is an adjective from the 15th century. Number one is archaic, and it is the number one definition for the word economic, which is the last word in the previous episode. I'll just tell us, I'll remind us again, it's still archaic and it means of or relating to a household or its management. So not how we use this word anymore, but I do also see, you know, if you expand that idea, the household or its management to the to a state, to a country, to the world systems, it still sort of makes sense. Um, okay, number two for economical is marked by careful, efficient, and prudent use of resources. And the synonym is thrifty, as in an economical shopper. You you must be an interesting shopper, uh, consumer of goods, <laughs> just because of all the stuff that you know. <laughs> Would you say you're economical? I would say I am, but my wife would say that I'm not. So the reason is because when uh, when she thinks about prices, she thinks only about the money price. And when I think about prices, I think about all of the effort and time going into getting the item. So I might find the more expensive milk economical to purchase because I don't have to spend 45 minutes driving to the Trader Joe's on the other side of town. <laughs> right, right. Is it, Does it make more sense to get the more expensive one that's five minutes away or the cheaper one that's a lot further away? That's right. And yeah. so I always I always think about these things, these time trade-offs with money and stuff like that. That's and just you can't my help style. It. I can't help it. Do you, um, do you ever like literally dig into the math of, well, it's going to cost this much in gas to get there? Or is it more just like, a nah, my time is worth uh, not that much or worth more than to drive that far? I mostly do the time thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not digging into the literal numbers of it. Not literal. Uh, number three for economical, operating with little waste or at a saving that's an interesting sentence. Operating with little waste or at a saving. And the example is an economical car. 
So this would be a car that's maybe a hybrid car or an electric car. There's very little waste coming from it. Uh, and we like that. Yeah, absolutely. I just got an electric car. Ooh, I'm not did. sure that it's an economical decision because electricity is pretty expensive, at least where we live. But I think it's good for the world. Yeah, it's you got to look long term. You know, every we are all doing our part. Uh, if I had a situation where I could have a hybrid or electric car, I absolutely would. But you know, living in a big building, it's not doesn't make so much sense. Yeah, um, because it's hard to plug in. Yeah, I, there theoretically might be a place to plug in in the garage, but it's I, I I'm already paying too much for electricity. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. You probably you probably don't have like solar panels or anything like that to help. Not yet, but I think uh, if we go, we're also working on a, an electric heat system to replace the gas. If that happens, then it may become economical to get solar panels. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I hope that is in your future because you know we all gotta go in that direction. I think. Definitely. The synonym for this word uh, is sparing. We are sparing some things. Anything else about the word economical, or should we move on to the next one? Well, just two thoughts. So one is that economical doesn't have all that much to do with economics. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the second one is, you know, the synonym thrifty. I think in my household growing up, thrifty was the um, close to the biggest personal, uh, positive personal attribute that is that was possible. It was a, it was a very thrifty environment. And... Uh, if you could be thrifty, it was a, it was a good thing. It was a good thing. Yeah, it does. It could potentially have, depending on who you are, it could have a negative connotation, but not exactly. in your household. Not in my household, but when I went to college, boy, uh, yes, I was thrifty, bordering on cheapskate in the eyes of the people around me. <laughs> yeah. How, how do you feel about the word frugal? Frugal, thrifty, cheapskate. The first two are obviously good things to me. The last one is not, but yeah, yeah. I think in some minds they're all synonyms. When I was younger, I always people would say, "Oh, you're cheap," because I just didn't want to spend money on things. Still, pretty true. Uh, but I would say, "No, no, I'm frugal. I like yeah. to, you know, be careful with my money." Exactly. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I don't think I was doing this when you were on the episode last time because that was a long time ago. Um, but after each word, I like to make a sound effect. Um, I pick this pretty much the same sound effect. I usually just do it with my mouth because it's there all the time. Um, so what's like the first sound effect you can think of? We can, and then we'll, we'll make it throughout this episode. It doesn't have to be related to economics or anything, but you know, a, a simple one could just be cha-ching because that's money related. That's not bad. I'll take it. All right. No other Let's good go suggestions, but you, you like that one. I like that one. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, since you're the guest, why don't you go ahead and make the first sound effect, and then I will move on to the next word. Cha-ching. Perfect. I know. It's so stupid. <laughs> okay, the next word is economically. Adverb from 1786, and this is in an economic or economical manner. Not much else, I think, to say about that. Fair enough. We can move on. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Perfect. Uh, and we, we, you could either do it the whole time or we can just go back and forth. Okay. We go back and forth. You did that one, even though I interrupted you. I'll do the next We got one. a double. We got a double on that. Okay. Okay. Next is economic rent. Two words, noun from 1889. The return for the use of a factor in excess 
of the minimum required to bring forth its service. And I think I might need you to explain this to me like I'm five. All right. Economic rents. It's a very big concept for us, by the way. We're ready. And it re- yeah, it really just means, well, or encompasses, let's say, it encompasses any payment that sort of above and beyond some notion of the natural payment for that for that good or service or input. So when companies like Amazon sell us their products for the cost of production, there's no rent. They don't make a profit. Mm-hmm. When they use their market power to charge a higher price because it's hard for us to go elsewhere or we don't know where else to get it or whatever the situation is, then they earn a profit, and we typically think of that kind of profit as rent. Hmm. What is the... I guess I'm trying to think of like the etymology of this. Like what I think of rent is you pay something to rent it or whatever, rent your apartment. What's yep. the usage of that word here? Or can, are you able to give a little bit more information of why we're using the word rent there? Yeah, I think... It's a little bit subtle, but uh, so um, think of a piece of land. The the price required to bring forth the service of the land is zero because the land is just there. It's not going to go away if you don't pay for it. Mm-hmm. And so anything that you pay for the use of that land to some owner is rent because the land was going to provide the service of being land no matter what. And so I think that is really the the source of this idea. The ultimate rent is rent on a piece of unimproved property. Okay. And, and I th- yeah. I think that you know when I get to the word rent cuz I haven't, you know, read the de- actual definition and I'm sure there's a bunch of definitions that'll probably help understand help me to understand, you know, w- what does that word actually mean? You know, I've never really thought yeah. about the actual definition of rent. Um yeah. so yeah, that that helps. Um so again, the definition is the return for the use of a factor in excess of the minimum required to bring forth its service. So there's the minimum required. You're paying money to Amazon to get that service. But then there's an additional amount on top of that. Yeah. Your example was really helpful. Good, good, good. The definition here is not <laughs> helpful in my book. <laughs> That's why you're here. Yeah, yeah. We can have rents. We can earn rents as workers, by the way, as well. Um, if I'm willing to do a job for ten dollars, but I, uh, you know, tell my employer I'll do it for fifteen, and for whatever reason they feel they don't have another option, then those five dollars—that's a rent for me. I've mm-hmm. earned it as a worker because it's it's the amount above what I would have required to show up. Yeah. Is this a term that you deal with regularly in your work? Yeah, we do. Yeah, it seems like we, a, it's a pretty base level common thing. Yeah, and that language sometimes and often appears, although it's not the only only kind of language we, we use for it. A common description of any kind of behavior that's not um, not competitive in an economic sense is rent seeking behavior. So if firms get together and agree to charge a higher price uh, on a good 
and they form a cabal or something like that, then uh, it's not the right word I wanted to use, but anyhow, <laughs> that's all right. Um, to, to charge a higher price, then that's rent-seeking behavior. Um, if uh, Verizon buys up all of the cell phone companies in the in the country. To, so that they can charge us a higher price than it costs to provide cell service, that's rent-seeking behavior. Gotcha. Yeah. So the rent is, it's just the additional amount that is, uh, is you're looking for more than you need to. Yep. That was not yep. a good way to describe it, but it kind of worked. Yep. <laughs> All right. Anything else on economic rent? That's good. We tapped it out. Cha-ching. Perfect. Next is the biggie, economics. Uh, this is a noun. You, it does show in the pronunciation. You can say economics if you like. Economics. This is a noun from 1792, at least in English. Uh, well, may, okay, let's let's start with that real quick. 1792. That is technically after the uh, uh, America was independent. I'm doing air quotes. Independent from uh, Britain. Um, I don't know if you know much about the history, but like, was there not and was there not economics before that? Did they? What was their government situation like? I wonder. I mean, I think it's more like a name for the academic field. Yeah, but I don't really know much about the history of the word. Um, so certainly, there was, uh, you know, economic ideas are appearing before that, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, maybe they did about that history. Maybe they didn't put a word to it until yeah. the late late 1700s. Interesting. Okay. Um a number 1A for economics. This is a social science concerned chiefly with description and analysis of the production, distribution, and consumption of goods and services. So, there's a lot there, but it's a pretty basic idea. I mean, do you would you agree that that's? I mean, we also have you know one B, two, and three, but would you agree that that's a pretty good definition of economics? I yeah, I agree. That's a pretty good definition, um, and I think you can see that almost anything you want to can fit in there. Um, yeah, if you stretch a little, just a little bit. Yeah. So let's see. We're concerned with chiefly the description and analysis. So you're. Um, boy, yeah, there's a lot. So goods and services, we, we provide services, we provide goods, we take services, we take goods, we are consuming them, distributing them, producing them, and economics is describing those processes, the production, the distribution, the consumption, and analyzing it. You are doing a lot of analyzing. So um, is there anything that you would want to add to that that you feel like is missing? Well, I would just put a, put point to the loaded word of science, mm -hmm. which I think is uh, definitely an accurate description of what economics wants to be, and methodologically what we're trying to do in most cases. But I think there's a real question whether economics science um, fits with the social sciences, uh, maybe all the social sciences face some question about how scientific they are, and economics is trying to be very scientific, but the success of the science, say relative to theoretical physics, is much less. Our ability to make predictions or even <laughs> positively describe what's currently happening is much less 
than the natural sciences. And so I think it's it's interesting to think of economics as a science and to ask whether it is a science or not. Yeah, because, you know, what we think of as science is the idea of putting something to a test, coming up with a theory, a hypothesis, I should say, being able to test it and reproduce it and have some solid evidence. So, yeah, I see what you mean by maybe science is not the right word, but, you know, I I don't deal with the social sciences at large. So that's a whole sort of wishy-washy world, I guess. But, yeah, no, you, you bring up an interesting point. Yeah. Hmm. Well, 1B, let's see, this is going to be similar. Uh, This is economic theory, principles, and practices, as in sound economics. So that's, that's a different way to use this word, economic theory, principles, or practices. I don't know. What do you, do you have any, anything to add for that? Yeah, no, it's sort of like, um, the, the first definition is the, is the discipline and the second mm-hmm. definition is the use of the discipline i guess um right it's still yeah. called economics it's still called economics yeah a, a similar but but different example that i see in this book it kind of in that way of a 1a and a 1b is like this name this is the group of people who live in this area but it's also the name of their language yeah so yeah. again not not a one-to-one example but s- similar things in a similar world Absolutely. um Number two is economic aspect or significance, as in the economics of building a new stadium. So, you know, you're using economics to figure out the economics of, of building the new stadium. What, what would some of those things be? What do you have to think about to, to build a, a new structure? Yeah, well, so you should think about... Uh the costs of the building, right? The costs of the construction. So that's an obvious thing to think about. You should think about the benefits that it's going to bring over time. And that would be kind of traditional cost-benefit analysis. And then you have two things that economists are good about thinking about, thinking about and, and public policymakers often aren't. So, um, so one is how to discount these benefits over time. That is, if that stadium will bring people to the town next year, or 10 years from now, do you want to value the, that economic activity next year or 10 years from now the same? Or do you want to maybe discount that economic activity that's far off in the future by by some amount because it's, it's distant from today? Um, and we have a whole bunch of theory to help us think about discounting. And then there's another aspect, which is called the option value. And if you're making a construction project, you have to think about option value. So... The question is, if I don't build the stadium, what else could I put there? Perhaps I could build the stadium now, but in five years, I discover that um, pickleball is no longer an international great sport. And I may not want to build that pickleball stadium because of the option value of building something better that comes along in the future. Right. So even if it's a cost-benefit positive project, uh, that is, I expect to make money from building the stadium and inviting pickleball players over. It still may not be the right thing to do because there may be an even more valuable option that I want to keep. Yeah, pickleball is quite trendy at the moment, but it might not be <laughs> trendy later. Um, we, My town is actually dealing with this uh, this new stadium thing because we have a football stadium that's old. It's very, very old, and they want to redo it, 
But so they're talking about, in addition to redoing it, building a whole new stadium, literally, um, they want to also bring in big concerts to the area, Mm. but it's a residential area. And so there's a lot of back and forth about how is it, you know, the noise levels and how late can they go? And but also how many people is it going to bring and can they do shuttles and all that stuff? So there there's a lot of lot of discussions going on. So. You know, I, n- I never really would think to put it the word economics in there, but they are clearly discussing the economics of what what are the benefits and the problems to that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. It's very really fascinating to see this happen. Um, okay. Number three. This is economic conditions. Just the economic conditions are the economics, as in current economics. Ryan, what are the current economics? <laughs> The uh, current economics, not a phrase I would ever say, I think, <laughs> but the current economic conditions are actually remarkably good in the United States. I should say real quick, we are recording this on August 9th, uh, 5.13 Central Time. Um, you know, so the 2023, I'll add that in as well. Uh, so yes, what what's, what's going on? So what do we see? We see a situation in which the labor market, so... People's ability to find jobs and keep jobs is as strong as it's ever been, really in the history, the post, say the post-war history of the United States. We see a situation in which um, growth is actually at a, happening at a pretty good pace. So the amount of stuff that people can make in those jobs is actually growing fairly well. Um, we see inflation coming down from very high levels in the last year, and it's still a bit above the ideal maybe, but it's much, much better. And uh, and really, while of course there are always pockets of the economy that suffer and individuals who aren't having the best year or the best moment in their economic life, um, it's rare to see this many things going right without any obvious things going wrong in a big way. So uh, it's a Goldilocks period. It might last just two more weeks or it might last a few more years, but uh, it, it's nice. It's It's been really interesting to see. I mean, I don't follow this like you do, obviously, but, you know, I listen to a couple of news podcasts in the morning and, you know, sometimes the economy, the inflation, the interest rates are things that they talk about. And so I have just the smallest, smallest level of knowledge uh, of watching this sort of happen over these weeks and, and months. And it's it's been interesting. Um, I, just a few days ago, I heard one where they were talking about, well, there because there was a new report that just came out, right? There's always a new report. Maybe yeah. the labor market report from last week could be what we're talking Probably about. Probably that one, yeah, because they were saying that, yeah, there was actually a lot more jobs. And I think, if I remember correctly, the, the um, the I'm going to screw up the term, the jobless rate. Yeah, um, the unemployment rate. Unemployment. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why couldn't I come yeah. up with that word? Because I'm a dummy. Um, the unemployment rate is like the lowest it's been, kind of like what you were saying. It's the lowest it's been in a really, really long time which is kind of amazing to think about that. It is, it is kind of amazing. And from an econo- from an academic perspective, one of the more interesting puzzles is everything's going so great. Why is everybody so depressed about it? Um, inflation has something to do with it because inflation's been high. And of course, it still feels like prices are through the roof. I, you know, I can't afford to buy that milk. And sometimes I will drive mm-hmm. <laughs> to one other store to find it. But um but prices are going up more slowly, and and there's just lots of reasons to feel good about where the macro economy is, yeah, in, in the U.S. 
It's the long term. We're seeing gas come down. We're seeing all those things come down. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting world, and I'm I'm glad I'm not the one who's researching it because no, we wouldn't get very far. That's why we need people like you. Um, you know, we're obviously going to see more sort of economic related words, but you know, that was that was the last. Uh, the def the last definition for the word economics. Are there any sort of overarching ideas that you definitely want to get across and say here? Well, what you don't see in that definition was the thing that I was pointing to earlier was this this premise of our social science, if it is a science, that people respond to incentives. So I feel like a definition of economics that doesn't remind you to think about incentives is missing something maybe not from a, a dictionary perspective, but <laughs> one wants to understand what is economics. People respond to the things that influence the what makes them happy in the end, whether that's a financial incentive or a psychological incentive or a cultural incentive. Right, yeah, you, you need a reason to do a thing, right? Yeah. Why, why I, we wouldn't have our jobs if we weren't getting paid for them, that is the incentive. Um, yeah, I guess. Okay, so I I do think about money a lot, and this this is not necessarily like a a conversation for now. Um, maybe when we get to the word money, we can you can come back and we can really dig into this. But you know, what if there was no money? If you didn't have to worry about money, you know, those are two different ways to think about the same idea. What would you do? Would you still be studying this oh okay let me backtrack if there was no money the economics would be a whole different situation than what it is now so maybe maybe there wouldn't be things to study or maybe it would be a whole different world but maybe if, if you didn't have to worry about it what would you be doing uh well so first of all i want to just say that there being no money and uh, and not having to worry about money to me are very different totally different totally different yeah, yeah. if we tried to make dollar bills evaporate from the world. I think we would quickly discover that something else steps in to the role of money. So I don't think it's a it's a hard mental experiment for me to do, at least, to imagine a world where there is no thing that works like money. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, it's easier for me to imagine having some lucky break in life such that I didn't have to work for money. Yeah. Um, or seashells or whatever the case may be, Bitcoin, <laughs> right. I don't know. I would do things differently, but uh, actually I, I was just thinking yesterday, as I was leaving the store, I think I, I uh, okay, long story. You ready for a long story? I don't know. It. It, I mean, I can keep it. So I went to the, so I, I broke my arm as we uh, discussed. Pa Patreon members can see the broken arm. Yeah, or hand. Yeah. Uh, I was at the doctor, and the the nurse practitioner uh, told me it was my lucky day because the hand surgeon, the hand specialist, was in today. So she told me, it's your lucky day, he's in today, and you should play the lottery or something. So then later, I was at the grocery store that day, walking past the little lottery kiosk, deciding, and I thought to myself, maybe I should play the lottery. She said I should play the lottery. And then I decided... You know, if I won $10,000, it's not going to change anything I do for the next next year. Uh, even a bigger amount of money because we got 
things set up in a way that we like. And I kind of like my job. It's the greatest job in the world. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would do that much different. So you did not play, play the lottery, I take it? I did not play the lottery. It would be a much better story if I did in one. No, but it does bring up, bucks. like, it makes yeah. me think, you know, with, with your job and what you do, um, it's kind of a funny thought to think of Ryan as playing the lottery. <laughs> it seems like so counterintuitive, but maybe it's not counterintuitive. I don't know. Something, some, There's just something funny about that, of this economist uh, playing the lottery. Yeah, uh, I have played the lottery a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, I always play the cheap games, the $1 games. Oh, yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, well, okay, so maybe maybe at a future time, you and I can can sort of brainstorm like another research project of what, if there was no money, what would that if- do? Because I've thought about this a lot, and I have I have some thoughts, but of course, I am not educated in this world whatsoever, so I have no no background to have you're you're the one who could say this is why you're an idiot this is why this would never work (laughs) but at the same time i think about you know the utopian idea of star trek where there is no money and everybody still works and is happy that's a utopia is it possible that's what i think of like can we get to that point but maybe that's a conversation for can i try just one idea out on you and feel free to cut this later if if it's ridiculous so I want to argue that we actually live like pretty close to the best utopia in a certain economic sense. So if you imagine of the things that really limit our ability to achieve physical objectives on Earth, it's basically energy. Energy and some natural resources, uh, which are important. And, and we could use unlimited energy and unlimited uh, cobalt or something like that. Um, but, uh, there are some other things that are really important for our well-being that are close to unlimited that at least come to us for free. So if energy were free and natural resources were free, I think we could all have as much physical well-being as we could possibly want. And then, you know, there's no need to distribute resources because we can have everything. But, uh, at least in the United States, clean air and clean water are free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Take some effort to maintain that, but they're basically free. And I just want you to imagine, first of all, going to a world in which uh, energy and cobalt are free because there's so much of them. How much better would you feel than you do today? And then I want you to imagine going to a world where clean water and clean air are as scarce as energy and cobalt is. And imagine how unpleasant that seems. Yeah, yeah. That would be a nightmare. That would be a nightmare. And so when I just think about that continuum, we're awfully lucky to have the unscarce resource, uh, at least again in the United States, of basically clean water and clean air. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely not what other places in the world can say, especially from a clean water standpoint, and even some places in the U.S. Um, but uh, but yeah, that those are... The things, those and and food are the really, really big things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. food, food. I, I feel like is easy once you have unlimited energy and uh-huh. uh, resources. But anyhow, yeah, um, yeah. Sort of like half of the essentials of life, right, are kind of there for the taking in the United States, which is a lot better than it could be. 
Yes, we are incredibly lucky <laughs> to be to be here and not some other places. Um, I just want all the places to have all the things. I agree. M- maybe someday. Um, Okay, well, let's move on to the next one. Cha-ching! Speaking of, um, economize. This is spelled with an S-E at the end because it is the British variation of economize with a Z, which is coming up real soon. But you got to make a sound effect first. Cha-ching! There we go. Uh, This is you, I think. The next word is economist. Uh, This is a noun from 1586. Number one is archaic, one who practices economy, and I believe that is going back to, um, well, actually, the word economy is coming up, um, but not, oh, boy, we got a lot of definitions for that one. We're, we're going to save my explanation for coming up there. Number two for economist is a specialist in economics. Have you ever said, I'm a specialist? Uh, I've said I'm a researcher. I don't know if I've ever said a specialist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, according to the dictionary, you are. I just, you know, I think that they miss definition three, which is a attractive and pleasant person <laughs> that you want to be around. Obviously. I feel like every every definition that talks about a person should say that. Very pleasant. That's, that's right. <laughs> you want to hang out with them all the time. Uh, let's see. Okay, that's it for economist. Also, misting. I don't know where I was going with that one. Cha-ching! Next is economize with a Z. This is a verb from 1816, starting with intransitive, which is to practice economy, or also be frugal, or also, as we know, thrifty. As in, oh, no, there's no example. Um, but the transitive definition is to use frugally, and the synonym is save. So, to practice economy, to brief, be frugal, and then the transitive is to use frugally, to save. It's a little bit hard for my brain to sort of comprehend the, 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 the differences between the transitive and the intransitive. Yep. Some of them are a little bit vague, but because uh, I think one of them gets used uh, probably a lot more frequently than the other one. So it's like, I don't have context for that other version of it. Yeah, I always economize on something. I economize on time or energy or mm-hmm. money. I yeah, that's you are my usage. saving time, saving money. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, economizer is a ni- noun. Okay, sound effect, please. Cha-ching! Here is the word economy. First form, noun from the 15th century. We got a bunch of definitions. Number one, this is archaic. This is the management of household or private affairs and especially expenses. Um, so this is, what is this? This is, this is a noun. Of course, this relates to our other archaic ones, economical, um, economic, uh, of relating to household or its management. And then we had the economist, which is one who practices this economy of managing the household affairs and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, it's archaic. Uh, but again, it's like, we, we just don't use that word, but we still do these things. We still manage our household and all those things. We just don't use the word economy for it anymore. Yeah, we had this sort of intervening period of home economics. Mm. Where we, which... So this seems to be 
economics from the archaic time. Yes, I never thought about that. Um, yeah, I think in, in junior high, we had home economics. Uh, and, you know, you were learning, well, I feel like the sewing was a big part of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but of course, like money management and things like that, too. But yeah. But yeah. I wonder, do you, you have kids? Do you know, do, is there a similar thing in school these days that they just call something else? They do have different names for it. Um, but I, I think it was actually replaced by a class called Farm to Table in, in uh, hmm. my oldest kid's middle school. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of been spread out too, in, at least in our schools. Yeah. Across yeah. across fields. Right. If it's If it's money, maybe there's a whole class that's more devoted to money or sewing or health uh, whatever it is but yeah home economics uh number 2a thrifty and efficient use of material resources and then also frugality in expenditures also an instance or a means of economizing and the synonym there is saving being thrifty is there a I, I I get frustrated when they don't give like a sentence in context. Like, how do you use this yeah. word in context? Can you think of one off the top of your head? Um, I mean, so let's see. It's actually from literature, right? The author makes their their point with an economy of words. Okay, yeah. So it's being thrifty. It's maybe not using yeah. so many words to get the point across. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good a good example. Uh, to be efficient and concise use of actually let me just backtrack real quick your, your example is good because this book this dictionary is does try to be as much as it can economic with its words because yeah. there's only so much space they can't put all the information in they, they have to choose their words carefully uh, and so they're not putting any excessive words out there like i'm not so good at i use a whole lot of extra words when i talk sometimes but i don't like that okay to be efficient and concise use of non-material resources as effort language or motion i guess i was really talking about to be then uh language yeah yeah use of language but you know they're all still under the number two umbrella I see. Material versus non-material. Yeah. yeah. Um, motion, yes. I like to be to use economy uh, when I am sitting on the couch eating dinner and not moving because I have... <laughs> I'm tired. Uh, 3A. The arrangement or mode of operation of something, and the synonym is organization. Hmm. Again, it's like, how do you use that in context? That one I'm struggling with. The arrangement or mode of operation of something. How is it organized? The organization of a thing is its economy? Hmm. Yeah. Um, 3B, a system especially of interaction and exchange, as in an economy of information. Interaction and exchange. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, I'm not familiar with this one either, uh, I'm guessing you weren't. It's a, not not precisely this. Yeah, this definition is a little bit different. Yeah, so it's. Yeah, I mean we're. I guess we're sort of having an economy of uh, information because I say something, you say something, we're listening and and absorbing it. So yeah, I yeah, I'm definitely not familiar with this one. 
Uh, number four, the structure or conditions of economic life in a country, area, or period. Also, an economic system. Just the whole economic system. What I like about this is that this is describing not economics, but macroeconomics. Mm. So any really? microeconomists who think that macroeconomics should, should be smaller, it's in the definition. Whole systems. The structure or conditions of economic life in a country, area, or period. All, all of that. Do you do macro and micro economists have, um, is there like a fun little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, not battle, but like, you know, just you have fun with each other. Yeah. A friendly competition. Yeah, yeah. So m- micro economists will sometimes say that m- macroeconomics is a branch of applied microeconomics <laughs> to make us sound small. Right, right. It yeah. does It does kind of seem to me like it would be the other way around. <laughs> and and macroeconomists, we might point out that when the media wants to talk to an economist, they often come to us. Yeah, yeah, because you, you're not focusing on a tiny little thing. Um, I'm actually just skipping ahead in the book to see, do we have macroeconomics in here is that too specific of a thing uh it's got to be in there it probably is yeah we're gonna have a lot of macro words uh but 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 yeah we got macroeconomics oh that's gonna be a fun section all right maybe you'll come back for that i mean it seems only appropriate (laughs) uh okay economy Um, Let's look at the etymology real quick. Um, Okay, it comes from the Greek oikonomos, which means household manager, which is from oikos, which means house, and nemin, which means to manage. Uh, There's more at the words vicinity and nimble. So it's literally, that's where it came from, the person managing the house. So economists are managing the house of the country, for instance. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting evolution. Um, yeah, I wonder what happened there. Like, what it went from just the house to well, maybe we can, maybe we can um, apply this to the city, the state, the country, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, um, but also, you know, the you, you, but you capture also this microeconomic side of just how do people make decisions? Mm-hmm. And again, responding to incentives. Um, yeah, I think. I think I see how you get the macro and the micro out of the out of the root there. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Uh, let's see. I think that's it for this word. So, cha-ching! We have the second form of economy. It's much shorter. Adjective from circa 1906. This is designed to save money, as in economy cars. I guess, do we still use that term, economy cars? We have an economy fair on the airplane. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Economy seats. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Designed to save money. You are definitely uh, saving money if you're sitting in economy. And now, you know, they've got like four or five variations of that. You want premium economy or crappy economy? Uh, it's getting a bit extreme. And I've seen pictures of like, they're going to come out with planes that have um, like stacked seating so mm, where you're like yeah. half standing and those are going to be even cheaper. Oh wow! When you can't sit down, that will be intense. Yeah, it's good. It's a weird. It's a weird, weird thing. I don't know how I feel about it. 
They're trying to pack more people in. And of course, it, people are spending less money on the seats, but they're going to end up making more money because there's more people, more butts in seats. Or not, it's apparently. Yeah, something. It's like a weird half chair thing. Okay. It's got like somebody's butt in front of your face. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, sound effect, please. Cha-ching. Next is Economy of Scale. Three words from 1944. I'm going to guess this is related to World War II somehow. This is a reduction in the cost of producing something as a car or a unit of electricity brought about especially by increased size of production facilities. And this is usually used in plural. So you would say economies of scale, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. So what is this? <laughs> so this is actually another big idea from from my uh, undergraduate macroeconomics teaching. Um, the question is basically, if I double the amount of inputs into some production process, so double the size of the factory, say, and double the number of workers, mm -hmm. do I get double the amount of cars or do I get less than double or more than double? And so it's really important for understanding industrial structure, whether you have positive economies of scale or in, or another word for this would be increasing returns so that as i double the inputs i get more than twice out or maybe as i double the size of the school it gets really hard to manage and suddenly i get less education out of twice as many resources going in mm -hmm. so that would so, be a negative economy of scale that would be yeah, a negative economy of scale or, or decreasing returns yeah and so yeah it's it's as you scale up you are looking at how that affects the economy of that situation. I'm putting it in like super blunt terms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for my own sake, I just want to reread the definition. Maybe other people, now that they have that context from you, uh, it will help a little bit. So this is a reduction in the cost of producing something, like a car, brought about especially by increased size of production facilities. So as you increase the size of the the, the facility, um, you are, are you reducing costs or something? Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's we, there's we, a lot of factors. Yeah. This, I mean, it's not the only maybe origin of this, but the timing here really suggests Henry Ford and mm. literally car production. Um, the understanding of putting things on a production line, you make a lot of it. Uh, this, this manufacturing approach, uh, really helped, uh, capitalized built on economies of scale to make, things much more cheaply mm -hmm. so long as you're prepared to make a whole ton of the same thing yep you gotta gotta know that you got a good product and people are gonna buy it and then you're okay. gonna do very well yep uh okay cha-ching here we go i don't know if this is related to what you do at all but we have ecophysiology <laughs> before reading mm -hmm. the definition does this sound really never heard of it yeah never i didn't think so Okay, ecophysiology, noun from 1962. The science of the interrelationships between the physiology of organisms and their environment. And ecophysiological is an adjective. So it's it's the well you know this so this this is not economy obviously this is um what what ecology the um what's another word that I'm looking for? I'm trying to see if there's a related word nearby. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just the the ecosystem. That's what it is. The ecosystem yeah. of the organisms and their environment. 
That's right. We got a whole new route here. Yeah, yeah. With, We're changing uh, just, gears. Just one letter difference. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. I mean, that's uh. There's a lot to that. Um, the organisms in their environment. There are so many different types of organisms in so many different types of environments. So it's a it's a really broad topic, and I'm sure that ecophysiologists have to have a um a focus to what they to what they research must be must be um sound effect did you do the last one i can't remember cha-ching ecosphere noun from 1953 the parts of the universe habitable by living organisms especially the number one definition for the word biosphere um Totally unrelated, but Sharon and I recently watched the movie called Biosphere, which is not the Pauly Shore movie called Biodome. Uh, this is Biosphere. It's from the Duplass brothers. Uh, Sterling K. Brown is in it. And it's a really interesting, funny, weird movie um, that I, I do recommend. All right. I have to go look into that. Yeah. It's just two guys in a biosphere living and some interesting stuff happens. Uh, okay, so the ecosphere, this is just where uh, the, where something can live in an ecosystem because um, the biosphere is, you know, let's just say for simplicity's sake, the sphere around the earth that has an atmosphere where we can live anything beyond that, you can't live in it. It's the ecosphere. I don't, I don't even know if we use this term really that much anymore. Biosphere seems yep. maybe more accurate. Yep. Uh, cha-ching! Ecosystem. This is a big one. Noun from 1935. This is the complex of a community of organisms and its environment functioning as an ecological unit. So just what the, the, the world, the area, and the things that live in that area, all of that all together is the ecosystem. I, That's, yeah, obviously a really big idea. I've Huge. enjoyed hearing lately about the the gut microbiome, yes. which is like its own ecosystem. Totally, and yeah, we are learning so much about that. It seems like all the time there's new there's new something coming out of that, and how like there's your your health is like so determined partially by your microbiome. Maybe part of your like your mind is in your microbiome. These trillions and trillions of organisms affecting your body and your mind, and it's crazy, crazy. Yeah, and amazing that there are so many more cells that aren't you than cells that are you, <laughs> right? In your body, that to me is mind blowing. Oh yeah, it's uh, we're going to be learning a lot more about that. Just what's coming out yeah. of that that research is really fascinating. Um, I hope that that word is in this book because it's a little bit of an older book, but I don't think it's so old. I think microbiome has been around for a while. So um, I, I'm going to need to get a microbiome expert on that one. Oh, I can't wait. Um, and by then, we're going to know so much more. It's I like know. 10 it, years It won't down be the road. next week when you get to it. <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, okay. Uh, sound effect, please. Cha-ching. Next is eco-terrorism. Noun from 1987, 1. Sabotage, intended to hinder activities that are considered damaging to the environment. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really want to think about that, but, you know, there's, there's people who are trying to do that. Um, okay, so this is an interesting thought. I think about climate change 
And while companies, corporations, and countries who are the biggest uh, the, the biggest factors of making climate change worse, they might not be technically eco-terrorists because they're not necessarily doing it on purpose. But at the same time, you know, the science is there. They're aware of what they're doing. I wonder if we could call them out for eco-terrorism if somebody is doing something so blatantly bad for the climate at that they know it. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. I mean, terrorism is such a loaded term yep. at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that would be very controversial. Yes. But uh, eco-negligence? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, number two for eco-terrorism is political terrorism intended to damage an enemy's natural environment. Um, I'm trying to think of like, what's what's the difference between these? The first one is sabotage intended to hinder activities that are considered damaging to the environment. I guess all the environment. And the second one is political terrorism intended to damage an enemy's natural environment. So that's specifically like, you know, a war situation or something opposed to somebody or a group just trying to affect the environment in a negative way. So there was the dam that was destroyed on the lake in Ukraine. Yeah. That, I think, was rightfully uh, uh, an instance of eco-terrorism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and specifically that number two definition yeah because it's in a situation of war yeah Uh, and of course ego terrorist is a noun or an adjective sound effect cha-ching next is ecotone or ecotone e-c-o-t-o-n-e noun from 1904 i don't know what this is at all this is a trans a transition area between two adjacent ecological communities ecotonal is an adjective so okay okay so i guess if you if you take um i'm trying to think of like a real simple simple example like i don't know a forest next to uh, a field each one of those areas has its own organisms but there's that line between the two of them if it's a solid line that you know some of the creatures from the field might wander into the forest but maybe they don't go so far or vice versa so that area that transition from one to the other would be the ecotone hmm. sounds right to me yeah no. i never knew that there was a term specifically for that uh this is from the ek prefix uh that might be let's see let me just do a quick check back oh i might have to go back a little further ec is that in here? Did we? I would have read it so long ago. No, it's not. It looks Greek. Um, but it's the ek prefix plus the Greek word tonos, which means tension. Uh, so maybe there's some tension between the forest creatures and the field creatures. And they have a little a little battle on the ecotone. I don't know. I wonder if every beach is an ecotone. Right. The beach and the water. Yeah, the whole that whole area yeah. would definitely be the ecotone. Hmm. There's a lot of ecotones. Uh, the borders of cities, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Cha-ching! The last word is ecotourism. E-C-O-T-O-U-R 
ISM. It is a noun from 1982, the practice of touring natural habitats in a manner meant to minimize ecological impact. Um, so the first thing that I think of is uh, taking a trip to the Galapagos. I would love to take a trip to the Galapagos, but they are very, very uh, strict on what you can mm. do there and not touching the animals and where you can go. And so, uh, you know, I'm sure that there are people who don't follow ecotourism rules, but overall, that is definitely a place where you want to be a good ecotourist, which is a noun, an ecotour. Go a, an ecotourist going on an ecotour doing some ecotourism. <laughs> I actually didn't realize that it, it was defined based on the minimization of impact. I thought it was based on just the desire to see some ecological feature or features. Yeah, so, it's a little um, confusing in that way. Yeah. But yeah, you're, you want to be um, as ecological as possible. So a big luxury cruise ship going to the, uh, to the, the glaciers of Antarctica not ecotourism, I guess. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah. No, but but uh, you know, bike riding around Iceland would mm-hmm. maybe be ecotourism. Yeah, I was thinking of paddling a canoe to Antarctica. That could be ecotourism. Also, a very Dead. long trip. <laughs> Deadly ecotourism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so we read all the words. Now we have to pick a word of the episode. So I'm going to quickly reread the words, and then you will pick one to be the word of the episode. Okay. I am, I'm not going to make any guesses because my guests have uh, proven me wrong many times. We had economical, economically, economic rent, economics. I, I go back and forth between the, the pronunciation E or E, but it depends on the word, I guess. Economize, economist, economize, economy, economy, economy of scale, ecophysiology, ecosphere, ecosystem, ecoterrorism, ecotone, and ecotourism. What do you like? I'm going to surprise you, maybe. I'm going to go with ecotone because it's all new to me. Uh, It's a new idea and a new word for it. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. It's uh, Because, yeah, uh, it's new new to me as well. I had never realized that there was a specific term for where these areas meet up and uh, what what fun things might happen in the ecotone. Um, Do you want to sing a little song about ecotone? Which could be as simple as just saying the word. <laughs> Thanks for calling. You've reached Ryan. Please leave a message at the Ecotone. Oh, there you go. Oh, okay. Boop. That's perfect. <laughs> I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Um, uh, this this was fun. I It was educational for me. Uh, I learned about the Fisher equation, right? Is that what it's called? Yep, that's right. And I hope that uh, the listeners learn something as well. Um, it, uh, you know, you're, you're a professor, you do research, uh, it, but is there a place where people can like, can they read your papers? Uh, where are they published or, or can they find you in any way if they want to ask you economy questions? Yeah, well, all my question, all my papers and my contact information are available on my website, which is uh, my last name, Sharour, C-H-A-H-R-O-U-R.net. Sharour.net. It's all there. It's all free. You can email me. I will answer if I can. If he feels like it. If if you're nice, maybe he'll um, answer. If you're nice, I answer. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, well, I will I will put that in the show notes so people don't have to remember it or write it down. And um, any any last words before we close this out about anything? 
Thanks, Spence. Uh, I'm good. I think I have no further thoughts, Your Honor. <laughs> this trial is done. Um, I, I look forward to seeing you in a few months uh, around Christmas time. That's that's our, our yearly tradition. The one yeah. time a year that we get to see each other, except maybe uh, talking about the dictionary on a virtual remote platform like yep. this. Two, two very nice traditions. And my family and kids, they are super thrilled to be getting back to our our Christmas tradition, yeah, our holiday tradition. Exactly, exactly. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, thank you again. Say hi to the family. And until next time, this is Spencer dispensing information. Goodbye.